0: Welcome to It's a Good Life, a podcast dedicated to helping you live your best one. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to It's a Good Life with Brian Buffini. This is a special St. Patrick's Day message, so I wish a happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone out there. You know, Mark Twain said on St. Patrick's Day, there's only two types of people in the world, those who are Irish and those who want to be. Why is this celebrated all over the world? You know, well, obviously, Irish people, after the Great Famine, ended up everywhere they were not supposed to be. And for 100 years after the Great Famine, Ireland's greatest export was its people. So today, somewhere between 70 to 80 million Americans point to some aspect of their heritage being Irish. And we got to Canada and Australia and England and all over Europe and all over the world. Everywhere you go, Irish pubs, Irish music, Irish culture, all over the world. St. Patrick's Day is observed. You know, you have a big parade in New York and a big parade in Chicago. People might be wild to find out the second largest St. Patrick's Day parade is in Savannah, Georgia, in the deep south. And so Patrick's Day is often commemorated because of the Irish in America. But you know, there's a lot of people in America. I mean, the Italian Americans, the African Americans, There's every group, Chinese Americans, uh, all the Europeans, the British Americans, everybody came over. So why is it St. Paddy's Day has all of this impact? Well, maybe when I tell you a little bit about the history of St. Patrick, maybe it might resonate with you why 1,600 years after this man was alive, they're still celebrating him. Kind of an interesting deal. And so I thought I'd share with you uh, some musings. And I got to be honest with you, in preparation for this, I started, I was telling the crew here today, I started about a year ago reading up on the life of St. Patrick, and it led me down all kinds of trails, including a book I highly recommend to you, called How the Irish Saved Civilization, the untold story of Ireland's heroic role from the fall of the Roman Empire to the rise of medieval Europe. And basically, it talks about how Ireland was outside the Roman Empire and how basically uh, not only the scriptures, but also many of the classic books that we cling to today, many of the classics of Greek writing and so on and so forth, were saved by the Irish scholars untouched, because they were not part of the destruction of the Roman Empire. And so they housed in places, if you've ever watched one of the Star Wars movies where um, Luke Skywalker ended up in Skellig Michael, that island, and Star Wars goes on to say, you know, there's a temple there with all the Jedi books, and there's Luke kind of living this monastic life. Well, if you actually look, that's a real place. It's off the west coast of Ireland, and it was an island, And there's these what they call beehive huts that were made of rock and amazingly designed. And the monks would live there, and they would spend their whole life copying and recopying not only the scriptures, but also many of the classic books. And if you've ever been to Ireland, you've been to Trinity College, and you've seen the famous Book of Kells. Well, the Book of Kells was one of many, many, many books that were copied and saved. And then those books and scriptures, after the fall of the Roman Empire, were brought through missionaries all over the world all over the world. They brought not only the scriptures, but also classical literature. So yeah, I know, look, I'm an Irishman. It's St. Patrick's Day. I'm proud of my heritage. But as I was talking to my dad this morning on the way into the studio, my dad says, oh yeah, we're the land of saints and scholars, you know. That is true. The Irish saved civilization for sure. And I highly recommend this book to you. It's just a great historical research done by Thomas Cal or Cahill, as they say in America. So here you go. I'm going to throw it just a little bit. This is I have some exhaustive stuff on this, but I don't want to bore you. I think there's some great lessons to be learned just for our day-to-day in living a good life from St. Pat. So he was born Patricius to a British family. His father was a Roman civitas, or a tax collector, just like you hear in the Bible times when Jesus would sit with the tax collectors. And the tax collectors, they were upper middle class. They weren't quite accepted into nobility. They basically had to collect tax, and they had to make sure they took enough tax for themselves as well. And that's why sometimes they were considered not the most honest people. By the way, the civitas was responsible. So basically, in a region of Roman culture, they do a census to count the people, and based on the people, they'd say this is how much tax you should be getting from these people, and whether you collect it or not, Mister Civitas, you are responsible for it. So if a tax collector didn't collect enough taxes, They had to sell their own property, their own lands to cover the shortfall. Either way, the Romans were getting theirs. Not too dissimilar to the current tax laws, if you know what I mean. But that's for another day. So Patrick, known as Patricius, born into this upper middle class family. His mother was a Christian, his father not, although his father ultimately became a Christian on his deathbed, according to Patrick. As much as Irish people bark, and I'm one of them, about how oppressed we were for hundreds of years by the English, and it's very true, very true, a lot of history there for over 400 years, but long before that, the Irish uh, didn't do the English any favours. Between the 2nd and 5th centuries, the Celts raided Wales and England ruthlessly. And there's many examples in archaeology. In London, for example, they'll go digging up to go put a new high rise in, they'll find a Celtic camp and all kinds of great archaeology to be found. And so the Irish were always raiding the Welsh and always raiding the English. And one such raid by a chieftain in Antrim, which is in the north of Ireland. His name was Millich. And he took Patrick as a slave when he was 16 years old. So Ireland was a savage place during these years, okay? You're talking about slavery was throughout the country. In fact, it was a vicious form of slavery. It was also a place human sacrifice was a regular observance with the Druids. And so Patrick, as a 16-year-old boy, is taken against his will. And you can imagine how strong the lads were to get him, because 16-year-old was pretty strong. And for six years, he worked as a shepherd. Now, Antrim is a pretty woolly place, okay? It's <laughs> close to Scotland. It's cold. Typically, a shepherd boy worked naked starving had to eat whatever the sheep were eaten now sometimes he was in charge of pigs and he ate out of the pigs trough naked frequently beaten and so he was in a tough straits okay and as savage as savage can be life was not valued for a slave and he lived in that environment for six years now patrick himself in his confession talks about the fact that he was not a man of faith But the things his mother had taught him stuck with him. And I would encourage every parent. There's a great verse in the Bible that says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And any of you struggling with a child, or you think your lessons or your things that you've shared are not taking hold, the promise is when they're old, they won't forget. And so sometimes we won't even be around to witness that. And uh, Patrick, under tremendous duress, the teachings his mother passed on to him eventually took hold. According to his written confession, he said, Tending flocks by day, I would pray constantly during the daylight hours. And the love of fear of God surrounded me more and more each day. And that's really where Patrick experienced a conversion for himself spiritually. And so under the inspiration of a dream, basically a dream to go and walk down south to get a boat, to go back home, and that he would actually come back to the island of Ireland as a bishop. And that was the vision he was given. And so the uh, punishment for a runaway slave was death. And anyone who, uh, they would have had markings on them, so uh, they would have known where to take them. So anyone who would have found them would have been given a reward for bringing them back dead or alive. And he set off from Antrim and walked down to Wexford, which is just under 200 miles now. And also wasn't 200 miles of roadways. That'd be over Hill and Dale, barefoot, naked, with a slave mark on him, starving. That would have been challenging. And there's an interesting story in the Confession. He meets these boatsmen in the harbor at Wexford, and they were going to kill him. They were bringing Irish wolfhounds to the continent to sell them. Patrick uh, they went to them and said, hey, I, I want to join you. And um, they said, no, we are lucky we don't kill you. We're just, we're leaving, so we don't have time to kill you and bring you back. And he went off to the side of a hill and just started praying. And one of the fellows on the boat, kind of the first mate on the boat, saw this happen. And he goes, this guy really believes his God more than an, I believe mine. And they said, maybe we should bring him so we don't have bad luck. And so fair enough, they took him along and a great story of how that all came about. So anyway, it was a circuitous route. They landed in Gaul, but at this time, the Roman Empire, this is when the Roman Empire, right at the time, around 430, that the Roman Empire was crumbling. And so they came to a land that was desolate and burning. So it took another two years for Patrick to get to his home. So he gets to his home, he reunites with the family. So he's somewhere around 24 years old at this stage, and he tells his family, I want to go to a monastery, I want to study and become a priest and a bishop, and I want to be a bishop that goes back to Ireland. And the parents, apparently the father kind of, for a while, wouldn't talk to him and kind of, you know, (laughs) kicked him out of the family. He couldn't believe he was going back to his oppressors. He couldn't believe, like, you've spent six years, you've been gone for eight, we thought you were dead. These have been the people who've haunted us and done us harm, tried to kill you. And now you want to go back and be good to them. You want to go back and be their preacher, because they are going to kill you again. So any parent could be excused for thinking like that. So anyway, Patrick enrolls in the monastery in Gaul to pursue his religious studies, which he was years behind on, by the way. You know, the eight years he was gone, he wasn't studying Latin and he wasn't doing all the things that you're supposed to be studying. So he's behind everybody in the school. At 47 years old, he's ordained. And I'll talk about why that's so important later on. He's ordained as a bishop and becomes the first missionary ever to go outside of the Roman Empire. So every bishop at that time in the world, all the way back to St. Paul, Paul only went to Roman territories. So no one ever had gone outside the Roman world. So Patrick was the first to ever do that. And he returns to Savage Ireland, to hundreds of chieftains. Any village had a chieftain, and they ruled with an iron fist. I mean, brutal stuff, hardcore, pagan country, human sacrifice, slavery everywhere. And Patrick uh, was especially affected by slavery and especially of women in slavery and the horrific things that were done to them. And he went back with the purpose. You know, he did remarkable things. And he actually set up in every village in Ireland, everywhere there was a king, he set up an abbot or a priest. And a priest at that time, right? So what a priest means today in the 20th century compared to then. This is the the early church. And so basically, over the next, he then, you know, again, the mortality rate at this time, you know, people were dying between the age of 35 to 40. So he waited till he was 47. So he was already considered an old man at the time. And he served another 30 years in the capacity of Bishop of Ireland and transformed the nation, transformed the nation. It doesn't mean that every single person in the country was a Christian. It did not mean every single wrongdoing. There were no more slaves. no. But he transformed Ireland from what it was to what it would become. And so, again, I know we're drinking Guinness and dying the river's green, but there's power behind the life lived of St. Patrick. And so here's the three lessons that I got in studying it. I could go on for five episodes about St. Patrick for me, but I won't. But I'm going to give you three things I got from my studies here's the first, is out of your pain comes your purpose. Second, be patient and prepare. And then third, he was relentless. And this is more than just, oh, you know, the legend and the snakes out of Ireland and all those kinds of things. And the Irish, you know, the thing about it is, for us Irishmen, you know, we love the story. You know, when somebody, when I tell a story sometimes to somebody and they'll say, was that a true story? Well, the classic Irish answer is it could have been. What I'm talking about are all the stuff that came out of Patrick's written confession, right? St. Patrick's Confession. And I'm there's all kinds of yarns and all kinds of things. I have no idea if they're true or not. But I know this. Out of your pain comes your purpose for all of us in living the good life. You know, his pain created a massive amount of empathy and compassion for the people of Ireland. Now, what could it have caused? Hatred, bitterness. I mean, it would have been understandable if Patrick became a warrior formed an army with his father's money, and went back, I'm going to kill that SOB that made me eat with the pigs. And that would be understandable. That'd be very human. But I think when we get to the deeper understanding of what the good life is, inside the infinite love of God, there's a place for suffering, is that out of the most intense suffering, things he saw, and he talks about in his confession, having to confess to one of his great friends. His right-hand man was named Breen. Breen is Gaelic for Brian, by the way. He confessed to him. They they never really... Talk about what he confessed to, but some savage stuff he was involved in. They don't know if he killed a man or whatever else. They're not sure. But out of his pain came empathy and compassion for the people of Ireland. He was convicted of that. The slaves of Ireland who were downtrodden. In fact, he's the first leader in the world in recorded history who spoke out against slavery. By the way, all throughout the Roman world... Slavery was an accepted part of the culture, and Roman priests and bishops participated in it, just so you know. He was the first leader anywhere in the world to speak out voraciously against slavery. History's proved him to be right, and he was totally convinced of it. In fact, after he'd been all over the island and his reputation had grown, he actually went back to try to bring the gospel to the very chieftain who captured him. The legend is that Milich, when he heard St. Patrick was approaching, said, oh, here comes the man who escaped from me that I had as a slave. He's coming to overpower me. I hear of his reputation. And they said he gathered all his possessions and his gold and everything into his house, and he set himself on fire and died with his possessions. He thought Patrick was coming back to conquer him. That nature of that land was one of, that making amends was not part of the culture. Patrick was coming in peace, and he was coming to forgive the guy and try to share the gospel with him. And your man was so committed to his own pride that he ended up killing himself with all his possessions, right? One of actual quotes in the confession said Patrick said, If I be worthy, I live for my God, to teach the heathen, even though they may despise me. He had a purpose. And he knew what his purpose was. For me, in my whole life I've been desperately seeking mentors and role models. And most of the role models that were delivered to me in my life were through audio or seminars or books. And by the time I got to meet my heroes, my own company had grown and my own business had grown to the point that these heroes were now asking me for help. It's always been a hole that's been vacant for me. But it was God's providence that I didn't get a lot of what I really wanted in person. Because that hole or that gap or that wound, if you will say in a psychological term, is what drove me not only into the personal growth business, but ultimately to start Buffini Company and its coaching. And the coaching and the mentoring that's gone on for hundreds of thousands of people in the training, millions of people in 40 countries came out of that. Now, I'm not saying I'm St. Patrick. I'm just saying that's an example of it, okay, on a much smaller level. I knew how much help people needed because I knew what I needed myself. And it's out of your pain comes your purpose. That was always a pain for me that I was looking for that kind of mentorship. And that's what ultimately drove me relentlessly to fight the odds to build what became a Phoenix Company. So the same for all of us. Out of your pain can come your purpose. Next, be patient and prepare. Be patient and prepare. Like I said, at the time Patrick was going to school, the mortality rate was 35 to 40. So he would be in our terms, he'd be like, in his 60s, going to school. It doesn't matter how old you were. So many people come to me in an event, they go, oh, I wish I'd met you 20 years ago. You know, it's never too late. And he goes to study till he's 47. 47 was well past the mortality rate, especially for Irishmen at that time ancient in those days. But once he has the preparation, then he goes to work. Now he's ready for the day of opportunity. And there's a long story in how he ended up becoming the Bishop of Ireland. A Roman bishop wanted to be the Bishop of Ireland. He was kind of a well-to-do, kind of a snobbish guy. And he went to Ireland and he just flamed out. He flamed out. In fact, he was threatened within an inch of his life to the point that on his way back out of Ireland, he had a heart attack on the boat and died. And so it was by default that Patrick was named the Bishop of Ireland because the Romans couldn't pull it off and no one else wanted to go to that. That was the phrase, God-forsaken place. And so Pat went. And again, in his confession, he said, I pray to God to give me perseverance that I may be a faithful witness to him to the end of my life. Patient and prepared. What was he praying for? Perseverance. It's a good life. How many times have I said, don't give up? Don't take your eyes out the prize. It's a good life. Keep fighting. And then lastly, what do we know about Patrick? He was relentless. He was relentless. He knew his purpose. He was fueled by compassion and conviction. He faced immense opposition. He is recognized as the first man of influence, like I said, to ever speak out against slavery. Powerful, powerful opposition his whole life as an old man. But in his confession, he says, but I fear nothing because of the promises of heaven. He had his eyes on his prize. He was spiritually driven, and it manifested into all these other areas of his life. Out of his pain came his purpose. He was patient and prepared, and he was relentless. And a millennia and a half later, people are having parades all over the world. All over the world. In Africa, they have St. Patrick's Day parades. In Russia, they have St. Patrick's Day parades. All over the world. All over the world. They still celebrate the man. Now, they might not know why. He did have one phrase, by the way, which sounds like a salute. It says, here's to a long life and a merry one. And uh, that's in his confession. It's a longer quote, but the shorter part of it is so. Maybe he sipped a few jars with the Irish as well, which seems to be the case. And so this is a Brian Buffini original. This is not some limerick. This is how I'm going to finish today's show. And I wrote it down for myself. So drink your pints and sing your songs. Go to your parades and dye your rivers green. But don't forget what St. Paddy's Day really means. And that is St. Patrick was uh, a real-life person who lived a real-life life. And there's lots of myths and lots of legends. But the truth is far more powerful than the legends. A slave who became a bishop, a bishop who set people free and changed an entire island, which in turn, and if you read the book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, the land that was saved ended up changing the whole world. Because all the great books of the world and all the great scriptures were saved and preserved over the next several centuries after St. Patrick and were then sent via ministries and missionaries all over the world so there it is a large pebble on a pond i'm happy for saint patrick's day i'm happy it's a fun day the irish like to have the crack as they say c-r-a-i-c it means the fun it means the good humor it means the laughter it means a few drinks and i'll bend one tonight i'll be bending my elbow in honor of saint patrick's day and i'll be saying here's to a long and merry life it is a good life And for me, I'm even more proud to bring to you today the lessons from St. Patrick as it connects me to the deeper aspects of my own Irish heritage and roots and encourages me to keep on the good journey. And I hope it encourages you to keep on your good journey, to find your purpose, prepare and be patient and be relentless. Well, I leave you off with the woman who told me many a truth about St. Patrick and also a few stories I'm not sure are so true. But as when I asked me, ma'am, is that a true story? She said, well, it could have been. So happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you and I leave you with Therese Buffini out of Dublin, 91 years old with a great, true blessing for all of you. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.